Well, welcome to the final part of The Hard Shoulder. And every Friday at this time between six and seven, we look at the stories that got us talking over the past seven days with a little bit of a jaundiced eyes. I am surrounded by Manon Heron today, uh, outnumbered, outflanked. It is a great pleasure to welcome in this festive season where I have to be full of goodwill and cheer to people, Nora Owen, former colleague of mine, of course, and more importantly, former Justice Minister, Terry Prone, who I know too well, Chair of the Communication Clinic, looking younger every time I see her, and Neve Horn, journalist with the Sunday Independent. Uh, another good column to look forward to this Sunday. You've been writing about orgasms and sex. I assume you'll be getting Once. something more serious <laughs> this week. There's nothing more serious than sex, Ivan. Um, so what are you no, going to write about this um, week? I'm, I've interviewed on the back of it. When I was in the middle of doing that article the last time, I um, rang a sex therapist and on her voicemail it said... I'm all booked up and I have a three month waiting list and I can't take anybody more anybody else and I went wow isn't that saying so it's a sex therapist this week we can look forward to this week or next week depending on they might hold it for Christmas last week it was your problem with orgasms today it's how to solve your orgasm problem you can imagine my conversation on Sunday morning when I'm waking up to my parents reading the paper what are you doing at the moment I think Neve needs one of these behavioural contracts that we were reading about Oh, do you not get one in here Ivan to make you behave no you know where you they, where they give you a whole list of words and and topics oh. that you can't raise. Well, put and it here's like Neve now starting There's off the program on There's people paying too much therapist. money out there to have a bleep button and they can use it or not. Yeah. Uh, how are things with you? Well, have things, you any Christmassy thing things, coming yeah, up? Yeah, I have Christmassy things. I, yesterday I was singing with uh, my, I sing in a choir called the Forget Me Nots, which is a yes, lo- lovely idea we heard about for dementia it. and for, for our singers and people without dementia. And yesterday we sang in Fingal County Council Atrium and all the staff listened to us wonderfully at 12 o'clock. What else and would they Monday, do? And, and on Monday we're going to the arrivals depart the arrivals lounge the arrivals area of Dublin Airport oh. at seven o'clock to sing for all the people coming Isn't that home lovely? for Christmas and they'll all join that in is and sweet. everything and it's that very is cute that and is we sweet. wear our and Christmas I know Santa you. jumpers it'll be a brandy reception to follow oh well I, I no actually I have I have a convention after that alright <laughs> ok well you need a few brandies for that <laughs> yeah. and Terry, uh, are you all Christmased up are you very busy finishing up for Christmas I'm finishing up today and oh. I am all Christmased up and I got I have to say probably the best Christmas present I ever got from a non-family member because you will be aware that there's a new Jack Reacher book out by Lee Child. Mm. I know by the way you're looking at me that you are pig ignorant about (laughs) Lee Child. Okay, Ivan, here's the lesson. Uh, A Lee Child book is sold every six minutes somewhere in the world. He is that popular. So I got given the hardback of the, the new one which is called Past Tense and I opened it up to find it inscribed to me by Lee Child with a promise that he would read my novel Racing the Moon while I was reading his. Can anybody top that, I ask myself. Tell us about Racing the Moon. When was this out? Racing the Moon is so old. Oh, it's 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 not a new... new, Oh, right. It's wonderful, but Did you do a book this year? Because you normally do one a year. Actually, no, it'll be next year. Okay, bit of a slacker. And have you met met Lee Child? No. Oh, I'd love to meet, because I'm a great Lee Child fan as well. (laughs) But he writes great stories, and and, uh, but he'd be interesting to meet. I don't know whether that's his real It's nearly as interesting as Sudoku. But let's move on to our first topic. Do you feel your age is the question. Reddit, whoever they are, asked women's 
uh, page have been sharing their moments of when someone realised, and this could, like age is relative, we know that. Like, who thinks 90 is old? Only, you know, when you're 80, you have a different view about 90 is my point. Now, so telltale signs. When you... Here, younger people don't know what a videotape was or a Tamagotchi. Um, Do you know what a Tamagotchi Referencing is? TV <laughs> shows that were before your time or after your time. Um, getting a gift of money and doing something sensible with it. Or when you bend down and you groan and then you struggle to get back up. Um, so... Have you ever had signs of aging oh, yet? Yeah, all the time. I just genuinely, there's She's like so a new young. one. Sorry, no, sorry, there do is not a new confuse one every week. signs of insecurity with signs of aging. <laughs> no, there is a new one every week. But like the two that stand out were um, recently my little cousins telling me they get their news from Snapchat. I nearly fell off the chair at that. It's like news ten, 10 seconds, you know, mm. grabs. Nice. And then the other one was I got a really good kick out of buying a tea cozy and um, teacup set um, the other week. And I just said, right, that's it. Was <laughs> it one of those old. lovely knitted ones? I was, was like, it? yes. Yeah. And it's yeah. the little things, right? Because I oh. love my scone and the newspapers on a Sunday morning. And then you felt like a granny. The, I did. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I spent ages choosing the tea cozies. Yes. That's really depressing. But you are the youngest fogey I know. I, I know. mean, like, you know. You know what I mean about it's usually so a male cute. thing. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I was going to say another one was a recent <laughs> New Year's Eve buying cleaning products for the house at like 9 p.m. And the guy behind the counter, who was about 17, went, while now, night, eh? And I just went, God, okay, that's it. I'll settle down now. <laughs> okay. So, he wasn't uh, asking you for a date or anything. The truth of it is. You're so far off the free travel pass. You have nothing to worry about. I need to find yeah, okay. someone first. Let's, 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 people who have a master's in age, uh, <laughs> myself included, going to be him. 60 next year. Terry, uh, tell me, what, what, what for you at different stages? Like, you can be old at 39. And at what stage, like, for me, I would say what age losing my hair was was certainly one thing where I I, I felt well I used to have hair I don't have hair um but not that a problem but just in terms of wake up you're getting a little bit older uh, certainly I I would say because I had Mary O'Rourke and Alice Leahy on the program and they're in their seventies and I said when I look back personally and I'm I'm a fifty nine now going on sixty that when did I have the optimum of energy and experience. In other words, you great energy in your twenties and my best guess was around thirty nine and I asked them straight, what's the question? And you know what they said both they lied through their teeth and said, I am now in my prime and I thought, <laughs> you pathological liars. Yeah. First okay. of all Mary O'Rourke is in their eighties. Well so I mean like just I mean like, and then I I just come off it and they stuck they they didn't get off their petard. So my question to you is ageing and, 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 and dealing with it discuss give me wisdom well first of all I have a problem in that because I've never watched television ever we didn't have a television when I was growing up I've missed out on a complete strand of references. Do you know when people make references to famous television programs? The Reardon's Glen Rowe and all yes, this. Yeah. I'm looking at them blankly. So I have no point in that line of culture where I say this shows that, that I'm old. The second thing is that um, the two people that you were interviewing are right to the extent that all the research indicates that people 60 and plus are at the happiest of their lives if they're still compass. Mm. Um, but 
it also says that, research also says that each of us have a mental age that we automatically think we are. And the unfortunate thing is that I'm 28. And so when I catch sight of myself in a mirror or when I try to stand up suddenly or as happened to me in New York, I'll never forget it. I'm rushing between meetings and I'm so cool. I think yeah. I'm great. And I come to one of those walk, don't walk things. And it's, and for some reason, my legs went out from under me and I landed my arse straight into a puddle. And the immediate thought was, Hip. I won't be able to get, no, I didn't even think of him. <laughs> I won't be able to get back up on my own. And at that moment, and it could only happen in New York, two total male strangers on either side of me yanked me up by the elbow, set me going, and the thing said walk, and I did. But it keeps taking me by surprise, the age thing. And so I think the safest So that's why you came in denial. in a wheelchair today. And there's the crutches. Nora. Uh, well, yeah. no, you see, people lie about age, and they, yes. they're, they're very dishonest. Like, I, I, I think it's very important. You can't kid a kidder to be self aware. Mm. So if it says on the on the mileometer yeah. that I'm 59, I feel 59. Yes. I, I don't feel 79, but I, and it's important that I realise where I am. I'm on the cusp of 60. And I think it's very important to be honest with yourself about this. Yes, yeah. Well, I, I feel quite proud. I'm 73. I'm not a shy, shy about it. And I feel... I feel I still have lots of energy and life and what have you. It, where it catches up on you, certainly the body begins to tell you and you do have energy pains. Levels? Energy levels. I can be very energetic and then when, I ca- when I'm finished, I can be as lazy as hell and just lie on the couch. Um, but I, do you ever find, like I find now, particularly on yeah, Fridays, yes. done four TV shows, oh, radio yeah, shows. Well, you're and still no, at no, the No, no, the point I'm trying to make to yeah. you is this. I could have done that in my 30s, ministerial schedule, Sorry. in a breeze. Now I am knackered, knackered with a capital yeah. K. Well, I have to tell you, Ivan, and, and share it with, 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 with Terry and Neve that when you came into the doll at 21, <laughs> we all <laughs> thought you, you were about 55 know, because you were I the know. oldest 21-year-old we ever That's knew. That's true. But some of the things that remind me is, I have to say, when you get older, um, bathrooms are important need to identify where they are yeah. usually when you're at a function. Not to get short taken. Not to get short taken because yeah. things get... I find that after 17 <laughs> pints. <laughs> ah, well, no, this wouldn't be after pints at all. Things loosen up. There are other things like you go to a book launches and you there's a microphone and you get used to knowing when it's about to start. Now, when you come in, you do a little speck around. There's usually little clusters of sh- chairs, not many, maybe 10 in total. And when you see somebody doing banging on the microphone, mm. do, 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 you move yourself carefully over to where you saw the chairs. And the minute the speeches start, down you plop because they could be Everyone an hour and a half. Yes, yes. Everybody else, uh, so there's little things like that that remind you standing for an hour and a half is not possible as you get older. You've been great on that topic. <laughs> we just want to have a quick chat about the day that's in it, uh, the 14th of December. 2018, 100 years after this famous election, which was uh, Westminster, women got the vote. Things have looked, never looked as as bad since. But anyway, the point I'm making is that it was the moment that Sinn Féin, which led to Fianna Fáil, Vinegal and all that, had this breakthrough election. Um, What does it mean to you? Anything? and, and, And obviously, you know, when you look at the nation, 100 years old, 
is, is it your sense, oh my God, the father, founding fathers would be turning in their grave or they'd actually be quite chuffed at our modern state? Oh, I think like, oh, they'd be chuffed and like socially for sure. I mean, we've come on leaps and bounds. I mean, what does it mean to me? And you're asking in a good week given that the, the um, eighth referendum was passed. You know, it's, it's incredible. And it was, um, you know, women's votes that did that as well. And uh, I think it's fantastic. I just would say that in terms of women in politics, it's not just about making up the numbers, it's the, the amount or the type of women we have in politics to make sure that they're the right ones representing mm-hmm. us. And that came out... Does um, that mean they have to be liberal, raging feminists? No, no, not at all. But um, just I hope that the women who get into politics now are doing it for the right reasons, you know. And like one of the things that stood out for me was when I was coming up, to, it was coming up to the referendum maybe about a year or so beforehand. And I was asking a very well-known female politician her thoughts on... Um, abortion and she was would you just switch off the tape recorder because I don't really want to kind of you know rock the boat there you know if, mm-hmm. it's it's about actually using your voice whether you're not keeping in line mm. with your party or not or you're not doing it because of an agenda it's so important that especially for women as well that we have good representatives and voices in there so yeah okay so what what you're taking out of it is 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 the progress women have made in a hundred years that's what's most important to you uh, Terry what 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 do you take from it I mean do you shrug your shoulders or do you think yeah we did okay or what I think the first thing that I do is look wide-eyed at it because you must remember, I don't know um, if the distance between our ages means that you experience the same, but when I was going to school, history, Irish history stopped at 1916. Nothing happened after that. There was no civil war, there was no 1918 election, so there was a complete black space in my understanding and it's one of the reasons I'm actually going to watch there's a programme on tonight on 7 RTE. o'clock yeah, yeah. yeah and they've done it's an a juxtaposition thing. yeah of a modern contemporary election coverage yeah. with yes. the history yes mm. it's a thing that Louis Lenton did within, for 1916 coverage um, I think it's a brilliant idea and from what I hear of it um, it explains the subtleties and the quantum shift in thinking mm. in a very and, interesting way. And I way. think what it's also going to explain, because we covered the programme, that the big thing, there'd be no election between 1910 and 1918, <laughs> but they were getting to the end of the cannon fodder of um, English men mm. dying. So conscription was on the mat for Ireland, which was British. And therefore, that was really unpopular. And that was the litmus test that drove votes to Sinn Féin because conscription was so unpopular. And only by that way of approaching it, like, what was the issue you won the election on, mate? You know what I mean? That that it comes out that way. Uh, Nora? Well, I mean, I I think we have made great progress. And I think the men and women of that time, if they were looking down from heaven or wherever they are, um, they would be very pleased with the progress we've made. They would equally be critical of some of the things that we haven't made progress but kind of part of our wealth has led to some of the problems we have now. Everybody wants to have a house everybody wants to have a job and that's as it should be. Um, I think the 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 1918 election was interesting because it was only just before the election that they actually changed the law and let women stand. So there was a lot of talk about the and 21 they women. They women. had to they had to mm. be over 30 and they had to be um, they had to have property. And only that one the in the whole thing. of the UK and only got one in the UK. Yeah. And that's Can't, how Constance Markovich came along. The other um, 20 all failed to get elected, and another Irish woman, Win- Winfred Carney, stood as well, and she didn't get elected. But of course, Countess Markovich was in prison all the time. She was standing. 
standing. So I don't know whether there's a lesson there for any of the current people that they might win their seats if they get themselves into prison for the duration of the election. No, I mean, Ireland has made great strides and we are the oldest continuous democracy in Europe without a break. Other countries have had democracies for good few, but there's been kind of gaps okay. in the middle. So, okay. so we have really progressed. I looked back at some of the doll debates and that and back in the 30s, Michael Collins' sister was actually a TD, but she was terribly, terribly conservative and right wing. But they went in with their hats and their good suits and they sat there and they didn't talk very much. And there were definitely people not happy with women getting the votes. I mean, I think John Redmond had made some quite nasty comments about women getting the vote and more or less what has the world come to. Well, of course, and, the 37 and, Constitution yes, uh, said a woman's yes, place in the home. In the home and, and that still hasn't been changed yeah. and there's been right. a controversy about changing that. OK, we are going to take a short break. My final furlong panel of Nora Owen, Terry Prone and Neve Horn are staying with me. Uh, we will uh, have news and we're going to be finding out exactly what my panellists have been Googling in the last week as we have the scores on the doors. But we'll be back in just a moment after this quick break. Welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. We're into the final stretch of the final furlong. It's a great pleasure to share it in the company of the former Justice Minister Nora Owen, the chairperson of the Communications Clinic, uh, Terry Prone, and a columnist with the Sunday Independent, Neve Horan. And we want to... Uh, move on to the issue of decorum and particularly, well, it's been in the focus all week, the shenanigans in Westminster. Take a listen. Mr Speaker, thank you very much. I'm reluctant to raise this point of order having spoken to you about it at the side of the chair earlier. And I should say that I've given the honourable gentleman from Bolsover, who's the subject to the point of order, advance notice by email and a few minutes ago in person. During proceedings earlier, when the Leader of the Opposition was opening his emergency debate, when he had taken an intervention from a member of the Democratic Unionist Party, during the response from the Leader of the Opposition, I said to my colleague, the Honourable Lady for Mother Willem Wishaw, that I wish the Leader of the Opposition would answer a question. It then prompted the Honourable Gentleman from Bolsover to turn around to me and call me a piece of (laughs) Mr Speaker, he then went on to defend that, telling, telling a journalist, telling a journalist that he was just putting me in my place. Now, as you know, Mr. I didn't, I didn't hear that clip before. I can tell you the bleeped bit is excrement, okay, and it's not sugar. But um, did you not get a notice where the person was from? Balls over. Yes, I got all of that. So that got us asking the question here on the panel: Is decorum dead? And how we compare and contrast the the kind of division and the kind of chaos of. Uh, the UK Parliament versus what's been decided this week, whereby Fianna Fáil have decided, almost without precondition, to facilitate the government not bring it down until uh, the early part of 2020. Um, you know, well beyond the Brexit period. W- what do you make of this? I mean, people are saying uh, a lot of Fianna Fáilers are very upset about this in grassroots because we we had them on the show and I've I've heard it in different uh, people's been to Mary O'Rourke last night and so on and instinctively they want to be in opposition and they they don't believe this is their role, but 
people are saying two things. One, in the context of national interest in Brexit, it's the right thing to do. Uh, and secondly, if you look at the polls, darling, uh, Fianna Fáil wouldn't do that well in an election. It's actually to do with self-preservation rather than the green jersey. What do you make of it, Neve? Well, of course it is. I mean, do politicians not just look after themselves and their own interest always in the first place, you know? And uh, you could say that they're doing the right thing and for the, the greater good, but I just think that probably the first is, is more likely. And um, the fact that they wouldn't win anyway. But I mean, we'll see how things stand in 2020. I think the housing crisis... You think it's a smart move for them? or, a, or Of course. He wouldn't have done it if it wasn't a smart move and you don't get to where Micheál Martin is without, you know, um, being a bit being a bit Machiavellian. Right. And so I think we'll see how things stand in 2020. I think the Brexit and how the housing crisis is going to play out will it get worse, which it looks like okay. it will. He will be in a much stronger position well, well, then. Can, can I put this counterpoint to you straight up and, and I'd like the others to re- react to it, that, you know, we had in Fine Gael, the Tala strategy and 18 months we sort of propped up uh, in Fine Gael in opposition to the government and was a, a minority government. And I perfectly understand when Fianna Fáil said, back in 1916, uh, 2016, after the election, Sinn Féin sat on their hands and someone had to do something to form a government. We couldn't form it ourselves. Four years later, it's it's wearing a bit thin. In other words, you know, the job of opposition is to oppose. Well, absolutely, yeah. But I mean, I, you can under, I, I suppose in certain times that you have to understand that maybe the more important job is to help prop them up or help keep things stable, you know. And they do still oppose, they do still um, take a stance on a lot of things. They're very outspoken. But I mean, they're, they're bigger, the bigger picture here now is propping them up and to get us through a certain period in history. Of People are ca- calling compliance and servitude instead yeah, of... Of course they oppose. I mean, they brought down innocent people, including the Minister for Justice and the Garda Commissioner. That's fair um, opposition. I think it's very interesting that you talk about the Tala strategy because I think that there is, at a level of unsophistication, a belief among certain politicians that if you do something like the Tala strategy, God or the voters will reward you for being a good person. Neither God nor the voters are ever grateful. Neither God nor the voters ever reward good deeds. However, what Michal Martin is at is interesting here because Michal Martin, remember, is an historian, first of all, an historian published a a very good history of, I can't now remember which period it was in in political history. But he's looking at this and I would suspect, I haven't haven't talked to him, but I would suspect that he's looking at his front bench and thinking there's about six there who need at least nine months of active work before they can become identifiable line of succession. And uh, when you look at this, you will always have the grassroots saying, ah, this is terrible stuff we should be opposing. Remember, grassroots are noted for having no strategic sense. Michal Martin is taking a strategic gamble. Who knows whether it'll pay off. Well, riddle me this. I mean, like, if you have... Beamish or Guinness or in other words two brands that are not completely different products but they're competing if one is propping up the other and you're knocking on doors for council elections the 24th of May for European elections so the first thing you know that the independents and the Sinn Féin council do say well sure you know if you're again if you're again the government and you're not happy about trolleys and homelessness why would you vote for Fianna Fáil vote for us? But that comes back to one of the things that I have been saying to young new politicians and candidates 
of all political parties for the last 40 years. Elections are won one candidate at a time, one encounter at a time, one front door at a time. You'll have a lot of people coming to the front door and saying, ah, sure, Jesus, yes, they're all the same these days. There's Mm -hmm. several noises that voters make. But if the person in front of them has been regularly at their door, if they like their uh, email or Twitter or whatever is their social media engagement, then they will vote for them no matter what the bigger picture is and no matter what their view of the leader of that particular party is. Them's the facts. Mm. And I, I mean, I think Michal Martin has, has taken this step for a number of reasons, not least that he's aware how dangerous a time it is with regard to Brexit and you couldn't write it. He also is aware that there are some serious problems that are not solved. And if there was an election now and he found himself in the position where he was in the majority forming uh, uh, confidence and supply with Fine Gael, he'd be left carrying all the can. And he must be thinking too that in another year, the housing thing will have lessened, hopefully, because more houses will have been delivered and there'll be less homeless people. So he's also looking at the broader picture but of that, where that's Fianna good Fall for Murphy. Stand. How is that good for Fianna Fáil? Well, well, it will be good for Fianna Fáil because by then the country well, you, will be more safe. Do you think Fine Gael is going to turn around the next election and say, we actually need to give all the credit no, for solving no, the no, housing no, problem to Fianna Fáil? Turn but but, but they, they can still stand up and take credit for leaving the government in position to deliver on this and they showed great responsibility. I mean, I think the next election is still going to be Peter and Paul and, and, and you know, Tweedy, mm. well, I don't mm. want to say yeah, Tweedy, yeah, yeah, Tweedy yeah. but it is going to be not much well, different. Well, the centre ground has the made a recovery. The other thing that Terry, the point Terry is making, the, the way in which people ele- uh, vote now is completely different, Ivan, than even when you and I started oh, in 81. Because they, there's no, there's no, as we used to, one, one of our TDs, loyalty. <laughs> yeah. The loyalty, loyalty, yeah. the loyalty is kind of gone now. If you look at the transfers, there's no loyalty there at all. Everyone's so, a voting voter. So somebody comes to your yeah. door, they could be Sinn Féin, but the person might like the cut of them, they might like what they've done for them, they might like the way they speak on television or radio, and they will get the vote, even though that house is not a Sinn Féin house. So all that has changed, changed radically. And so... It's a very different political time now, and it's a tough. It's a tough job now for. It's much harder job really to keep yourself out there with the public. And social media, I worry about because I think some of the younger TDs think once they have so many followers, that's getting them the vote. It it doesn't get them the vote. They it's have a bit to of an actually be seen, yeah. and they have to be down there and getting it. So I I praise me, Hall Martin. Look, John McGuinness. It's just Groundhog Day. Anything Michal Martin does, John McGuinness, and he's great copy and the media love mm. John McGuinness because he gives them the lines and he was out before Michal Martin had sat down in the chamber announcing he was giving it. He was out. I don't know what they were talking about for the last seven weeks, quite frankly, because I suspect this was always going to be the result. But they went through the motions of having these meetings. Okay. So and I'm glad for Yes, the okay. Yeah. Enough enough of politics. Finnegal or Delira, I can understand D- Delira that. Delira, anyway, I can understand yeah. that anyway. <laughs> now it's time for this. This is Christmas. So here it is, Merry Christmas, everybody's We want to we wanted to focus on present giving, and there's a really interesting survey from Barclays about Brits. 
Yeah, they're still human beings. Um, <laughs> the fact of the matter is that in terms of present receiving, the family pet gets more <laughs> presents than granddad. Uh, children receive the most presents. Uh, some extraordinary statistics on this. The poll found that the average Briton gives 27 presents each and spends an average of 37 quid. Well, that certainly doesn't apply. For a apply. present. Yeah, absolutely. That doesn't apply here. But... Grandmas can only bank on 1.9 present and granddad's 1.8 presents, whereas kids on average get 5.5 presents. It seems that underwear, socks, tie and soap is all that the old crinklies are going to get from their lower, younger generations. Is this true, Neve? Um, well, I don't have grandparents alive anymore, so I go. But I, I, I think that's what they like, right? I, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe they've never said. But um, yeah, I just think that's the type of thing that goes around every year: is the socks and the underwear. It's when people stock up on those drawers. It's, it's very Irish. Um, but in terms of like the, I we don't give gifts in, in my house. We don't do the big present thing, so it takes off oh. a lot of pressure. You know what I mean? Say that again. You can just go home and enjoy. We don't do the big present thing. Your in my siblings. House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Or my family. We did it when when I when. There was Santa. We did it, you know. But yeah, when Santa yeah. came, naturally. That's but yeah. Uh, shocking, yeah, but it's shocking. yeah, no but but no. Well, I mean, just yeah. So you 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 have a couple of sisters, don't you? Uh, two brothers and a sister. Two yeah, we've had sister. some bad gifts over no, the years, and, and, and we used to do gifts, you know. And, but nobody ever enjoyed them or and, liked and, them. And so. and and like what? we we have a thing now because my kids are twenty four to thirty. That uh, Christmas morning, we will sit down and we will each and start with the youngest giving, you know, right up the way to uh, we give the last thing to them where we give them money and just, you know, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So that's okay. So I don't have to worry about any of that. But, and we all sit down and it's actually the best part of Christmas for me. Yeah. And because they put a bit of effort into it, my yeah. daughters and all that what kind of thing. What do they give you, Ivan? Oh, they, they, they give me Socks all those. Socks and underwear. Kind of they might, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so quite need happy. It. I'm yeah. quite happy to get that. And I'm, I'm not in any way mm. dissatisfied because, you know, if, uh, they might really you know, break the bank and get me a nice shirt or something yes. like that. But it would usually be a nice clothes or whatever their mother tells them to get their father, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Do you not find that you have big just piles of like, okay, I got to take this back to the store and you just spend January going around to all the oh, different stores no, taking no. it all back. Oh, even if like I it. hated it, I would never so do that. Someone so young, Neve, you're so... <laughs> I love my kids. Yeah. <laughs> they won't take them I back anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't hurt their feelings. So, what, what, sorry, first of all, do you, do you believe believe that grandparents get less gifts? Uh, is this true? Terrible. I don't think so. I think that there is an assumption at a certain age, going back to your earlier thing, that everybody has everything. But that's just an excuse on the part of the giver. I th- I'm I'm just appalled by what Neva said. <laughs> yeah, I'm but a bit appalled too. Mainly I mean, they are a dysfunctional family, I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, there's no way, I've got to call it out as it is. <laughs> but the sad thing is she has The no Horan family, where do they live? But see, if I want something, I'll go and buy it myself. Do you know what I mean? I'll like, you know, I know and I'm not... Uh, do you not get pleasure giving? Mm. Uh, no, I do. I spend my entire Christmas cooking, three days cooking, and that's my bit of giving. But, but she I... has no grandparents. Yes. Yeah. Now that's actually very sad yeah. because grandparents are the people who take most care over presents. It's it's your aunt that gives you something vile at Christmas. <laughs> I had an aunt. She was a poisonous 
let's not go there. Yeah. Um, but she used to give us things like vests. Oh. I mean, a vest or a to a six. No, d- days, no, this is to when we when we were just children. But or I think a tin that of the, lemons, sweets that are just unsuckable. And there's a there's the equivalent in. You're remembering that, um, Ivan. In pharmaceutical terms, Ivan, there's a brand called Lockitane. Yes. And I have this belief that every Lockitane present I've ever seen has been given by somebody who got it the previous year. Oh, regifted. Yes. I don't think anybody ever actually uses. It's L apostrophe. It's French word. It comes in a tin and it's kind of lip balm and stuff that, you know, you're going to okay. buy for threepence anyway. But the best presents <laughs> oh, that I ever yeah. asked for, I always got what I asked for. And they were always lousy. Um, I got given a mahogany zither because I wanted to learn the zither. Did I ever learn the bloody zither? No. And I remember asking for a pogo stick. And so at what age were you when you looked for these? I think, well, I mean, in your 50s? Eight when Anne oh, had on. <laughs> By then I'd moved on to books, which are safer. Yeah. But a pogo stick is the worst thing in the world because it's like trying to ride um, a pile driver. It's the most extraordinarily painful, painful, useless thing. It never gets more than half a metre off the ground. Yeah. I I mean, I'm a grandmother as well, and I love buying for the the grandchildren and my children. And they'll get presents. Now, I do get lots of hints from mother and father, (laughs) and that's good because then you're buying something that they would have had to buy if, if you didn't buy it. My producer tells me Christmas will be over if we don't <laughs> conclude our final furlong panel. And a uh, sympathy uh, for and, Neve. And, and my sincere thanks to three great sports and panellists, Nora Owen, former Justice Minister, Terry Prone, Chair of the Communication Clinic, and Neve Horn, who will have another article on sex in the Sunday <laughs> Independent. My thanks to one and all for joining me on the programme. And that's your lot from uh, the Hard Shoulder this week. My thanks to the production team, editor Mark Simpson, senior producer Ashling Moore, producer Dan Flanagan, researchers Kira Courtney, Elaine Power and Steve Daunt. Off the Ball is up next. I'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Hard Shoulder at 4pm. Have a great weekend and do enjoy.